Hi and welcome to The Final Whistle, your number one sports podcast in Singapore. I am Deepan. And I'm Firdaus. And 2022 marks a new dawn for women's football in Singapore. The Lioness will compete at the SEA Games for the first time since 2003. And the women's team achieved a new milestone recently when they played in front of a paying public for the first time during the FAS Tri-Nation Series. And we've got the pleasure of hosting Lioness forward Danel Tan, who scored two goals in a 6-2 win over Seychelles during the FAS Tri-Nation Series. And we've got Danelle Tan and her dad, Mr. Tan Ming-Wei, with us today. Welcome to the show, Mr. Tan and Danelle. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Danelle, firstly, um, scoring two goals. And of course, the, the last match was, of course, uh, in front of a 2,344 people yeah. in attendance. How did it feel? Um, I think it's a very different experience, you know, obviously playing in front of a home crowd. I don't think... Um, I don't think I've really ever experienced that maybe once before, um, but it's definitely very unique, you know, walking out um, of the tunnel and then, you know, playing in front of my friends, my family, and then with the singer brigade as well, you know, they, they just don't stop singing. I think it's, yep. you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an experience that, you know, it will stay in my uh, memories forever, really. You, when, when you were lining up in the tunnel, you know, before you came out, even before when you came out for the warm-up, how did it feel? Do you feel, do you have goosebumps and all like, take us through that feeling? Oh, for sure. I think, I think every single time I, I walk out of the tunnel, every single time I sing the national anthem, I think I'll always have goosebumps no matter how many times I do it, whether it's in front of, you know, an empty stadium, in front of a home crowd. I think just the feeling of, you know, putting your hand on that badge um, and singing the national anthem, I think, I think there are not many things that come close to that feeling really. Was there a feeling where you just wanted the match to just get started? Because it's been a while since the women's team actually played in the stadium, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think obviously before the game, you're always very excited, excited to play, excited to show what you can do. Um, but I think it was really at that point, just really soaking it all in, you know, soaking up everyone, singing the national anthem together, um, you know, lining up with all your teammates beside you. Um, and yeah, so I think it was a really, it was a very surreal feeling to just, you know, absorb everything that was, that was really happening. Uh, Mr. Tan, I want to come to you now. I mean, I'm sure you were at the stadium, you know, supporting your daughter and of course the rest of the team. How how did it feel, uh, firstly, from the perspective as a dad? I think it was a very different experience because I'm used to traveling to watch her. So we'll be the lone Singaporean in, <laughs> in the Thai, Thai stadium or in the Vietnamese uh, stadium. Uh, so today, uh, or the last two matches where we were with thousands of Singapore fans uh, together and uh, like Danelle said, everybody singing the national anthem together. It was quite, it was quite a different feeling. You know, going into Jalan Basar Stadium on, on regular match days for the men's team, you know there's a game going on and all, right? So for you, you know, going to this particular game, you must have seen the crowds going into the Jalan Basar Stadium. Did it feel weird? Did it? How did it feel? The fact that, wow, it's a women's game and there's a paying public and almost almost 3,000 people in the stands. Yeah, I think Jalan Basar is really one of my favorite stadiums because you don't have the running track in between yes. the, the spectators and the, and the field. And you really feel a lot closer to the action and the players. Uh, so so seeing all the people filling up the, the, the stands, we were in the lower stands, um, really it is, it is heartwarming to know that there's so many people interested uh, in women's football. Yeah, that's correct. And right now we want to go to you, Danelle. Yeah. Uh, let's go back right to the start in terms of your interest in football. So how did it begin? Yeah, I think I think growing up, um, my my family has been very athletic, very very sporty, um, and so I was. Me and my siblings have been exposed to a lot of sports growing up. Um, I played uh, football, of course. I learned swimming, played a bit of badminton at home. I played chess, um, <laughs> and so 
Yeah, I they think... don't laugh. Uh. Chess is in the Sea Games, uh. Yeah. <laughs> Sport, uh. Yeah. Hopefully not. Uh. Yeah, I think I think if I if I really carried on with chess, I might have represented in the Sea Games one day. Actually, uh, she did represent Singapore, so she was under yeah. twelve national champion. Wow, chess! Yeah, and then they had to make her choose that you either choose chess or yeah. football, and then Man, you know who won. To make them choose, like imagine going to a Sea Games like this coming Sea Games, and you're rep- representing Singapore in chess and football. That would be amazing. But, but the training is grueling, <laughs> so I don't think you have that enough hours in a day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so so for you, I mean, the fact that you had so many different sports, what made you decide that? football was the one to go yeah so I mean like like my dad said there's there's only so many hours in a day and so it came to a point where I had to choose I think there, there was one year that I was I was doing ballet and then I was running track and field and I was playing chess and I, and then I was playing football of course um, and that there was this month I, I can't remember what year or what month it was but there was this month that I had a ballet competition I had a track and field meet um, I had a chess competition and I had a football um tournament and mm-hmm. so it, it was just madness and then it came to a point where I sort of had to choose um and then and then I chose football um and I think I think I just I just really enjoyed football you know running and then just meeting so many new people um and just playing the game really um and so and so that's why I, that's why I chose football so <laughs> so of course choosing is one thing but yeah. when do you realize that you were good at the sport because for you to pursue something you must have realized I'm fairly decent in this so when did you realize that um, to be fair, I don't think I, I pursued it because I felt I was good at it. I think I, I pursued it because more I enjoyed the sport. I really enjoyed, you know, going to training however many times a week, enjoy enjoyed meeting all these new people. Um, but I don't think it was a it was like a specific point where I realized I'm I'm good at this. I think mm-hmm. sort of sort of it was a more gradual thing. And and I still don't really think that I mean, it's not something that it's like like perfection in that sense like I still think there's definitely a lot of areas where I can improve on and so I don't I don't really think of it as okay I'm good at this that's why I'm pursuing it you know if you know mm-hmm. what I mean so yeah. for you Mr Tan I mean the fact that you know you involved your your kids in a lot of these different sports and activities what was the thinking for you at that time you know when you involved them uh, to take up all these different sports well I, I I used to play a lot of sports I'm obviously not at their kind of level um, but I, I think I played almost every sport except rugby because I was wearing spectacles and I was a bit um, <laughs> uh, my parents would throw a fit if I damaged the spectacles so I didn't play rugby um, uh, so I, I played water polo for, for varsity for, for, for school um, and I always wanted them to be swimmers so I was really hoping that they'll be swimmers I was prepared to wake up at 5.30 make the Milo fetch them to the, to the club to swim the thing was that when they could swim I say should we continue training and they're like nope they just want to play football and then I thought you know you, you got to let the kids choose you got to let them choose um, what they want to play Yeah. so in, in Singapore I think there's this like uh, I wouldn't call it a problem but there's this trend where parents are not so keen for their child to pursue sports after a certain period so did you find yourself having this dilemma of sorts I think never. And I think increasingly parents are realizing how important sports are. I think you'll see a lot of good correlation that um, um, children or, you know, teenagers or even adults who pursue sports actually do very well in their academics or in their careers. Uh, so I, I think that that hopefully that's rapidly changing, especially when we go overseas, especially in countries like the, the, the US, they do a very, very good job in combining studies and sports. So for you, um, how did you manage your children's uh, education as well as their sporting endeavors because as a parent I'm sure you still want them to excel in school right so 
Did you have to <laughs> did you have to really push them hard or how did it work? Uh, we're, we're quite thankful. Um, they're they actually pretty good students. Uh, but I think also a lot of it is because of the discipline in sports, right? Because you know you have to get to training. You know you have to sleep early. So they they, they waste very little time. So it's, um, and, and their, their coaches help in that as well. Do your homework, otherwise don't come for training. Mm. So it's really a balance. I don't think it's a compromise at all. I think it really enhances your concentration, your discipline, your perseverance in terms of doing your, your studies. Okay. Daniel, for you, when you were growing up, um, who were some of the idols that you had in terms of who you're watching on TV or people that you read about that, you know, made you want to pursue the sport even more? Um. So, so growing up, my, my dad's a huge Liverpool fan. So he always said that um, if we don't support Liverpool, we have to sleep in the garden. <laughs> um, so so definitely a, I've, been, I've been watching a lot of um, Liverpool matches really growing up. Uh, my favourite player uh, was Bobby Firmino. Uh, he's, a bit, he's a bit off form currently, but he, he used to be my favourite player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I was young, obviously then then I don't see any like women's football on TV, um, and that's not much exposure for the women's scene. But I think as I as I grew up more, and now you know the women's game is the popularity is is, is blowing up really, mm-hmm. um, and so now my current favorite player is Viviana Miedema. She's a Dutch striker, plays for Arsenal, absolute goal machine, and really like I think she's top goal scorer, and she's only like twenty four years old um, for the for the Netherlands mm-hmm. um, so she, so she's my favourite player and someone that I really um, try and model my game get a few things off her game now okay I just want to ask I mean even though in the past few years we've seen like you mentioned right women's football has really blown up was there a point uh, prior to that where you saw you know not much of attention on women's football did you ever think ah, I don't think I really want to do this and did you ever think of changing tracks in, in, in between not not really i mean i i think at the start that i mean i i just didn't know that it was a possible career path to be a professional women's footballer um and so at the start maybe i i didn't see it as a possible like like a career really i i didn't think i could do it as a livelihood um but but i never thought that oh this is this is not what i want to do but once i saw that it could it was a viable path that that's that's really what i wanted to do I think she's pretty much born at the sort of the right time. So yeah. when we were in uh, IX Amsterdam um, three years ago, um, it was actually, and we watched a match between PSV Eindhoven uh, against IX, and it was the first time that sh- that match was shown live on TV. So mm. it was really quite historic in that sense. Uh, Five thousand paying crowd, and so there are all these uh, landmarks, all these milestones that are beginning to happen. And then obviously the 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 last week's uh, game against Seychelles, where it's the first time there was a ticketed crowd. Um, so I think she's really at that that cups of the women's football really exploding. Yeah. For you, um, was it a case of planning out the the route for her? Like, did you sit down, uh, a lot of googling, and say, okay, this is the route I want Danelle to take? How how did it work? Uh, I think if you Google, there's going to be very limited stuff on women's football. I think it's just um, being open and uh, talking to a lot of people. We're very fortunate. Um, the the uh, there was a visiting UEFA A licensed coach that was that was helping out in Singapore. She was instrumental in opening a lot of doors. Uh, Fandi Ahmad has been very helpful in opening up uh, contacts as well. And then now Ben Tan, who has returned uh, from Thailand, he's also opened up a lot of contacts in 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 London. Um, so it's opening up all these channels, having a lot of conversations and and just being very open to a lot of possibilities. 
Okay. Then now I just want to ask you your your first steps in a sense of trying out uh, football at organized level would have been GSSL. Is that correct to assume? Yeah. Or there was something before that? No, GSSL no, was GSSL. Yeah. So how influential was GSSL? And and why do you think that that formed a, a good backbone for, for what you pursued on later? Um, I think one of the... Uh I think one of the things about JSSL was at the early stages, they had they were, I think, the only club that had a women's team. So an all-girls um, team. And it was, you know, when you start getting into the sport and you're still gaining interest, you're not, you know, you're not thinking about playing professionally or whatever, you're just treating it as a hobby. I think having an all-girls team is very, is a, is a very integral part of it. Um, you know, playing with girls your age, making new friends um, that are girls, really. And because football at the beginning was a very male dominated sport I know a lot of girls who when they were first starting out playing they were playing in all boys teams and really sometimes as at the social aspect of it it's not it's not that you don't really enjoy the game as much and so um, in my early years I think gaining interest being part of an all girls team was a huge was a huge thing for me but I think JSSL is um, they helped me improve as a player as well because when I realized that, you know, I have to improve and I have to step out of my comfort zone, then playing in a boys team became also very instrumental as well in, in my development because, you know, playing with boys, obviously they force you to play quicker. They're all a lot more physical and they're just faster on the ball and it just forces you to think quicker, play quicker. And that I think um, has really helped me improve in my game a lot more. So I, I read somewhere in your first trial class at JSSL, you scored 12 goals. Yeah. I want to know firstly, the final score <laughs> and what happened like how how was it like organized uh, I think I think it was more like a it wasn't really like an actual match so it was more like you know 1v1s 3v3s whatever so I, I, I don't really remember um, but yeah I think the first time and then scoring 12 goals obviously was um I mean I, I really enjoyed my first class and that obviously helped me to continue playing the sport <laughs> I want to talk about like challenges and, and sacrifices now because that's a, a big part of uh, a footballer's career that people don't often hear about. Uh, but before you talk about it, I just want to ask uh, your dad, um, from your perspective as a parent, you know, what kind of sacrifices or, or challenges that you faced uh, trying to get uh, your kids into football? I think sometimes we don't really see it as a sacrifice because they really enjoy doing it. Um, but, you know, Danelle puts in so many hours in the gym. Her her friends joke that if you look at her Instagram accounts, she practically lives in the gym, right? So especially during the, the, the COVID period, she was working out a lot in the gym by herself. And you know how tedious that is, but she's never complained. She's just at it, right? Um, so she, she reads up, she researches a lot, but all that is sacrifice because a lot of players don't like the gym work. They like going on the field, playing the game, and then that's it. But, you know, I just read somewhere so that it's the great players that will take care of their nutrition, they will take care of their strength and conditioning, they will take care of their sleep. All these things will have to happen before you make it big as a professional player. And that's what she does. So would you consider yourself to be someone who would push her or you don't find yourself doing that at all? <laughs> Should I give the real answer? <laughs> um, I, I think my my, my 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 wife jokes that I am quite tiger with them uh, because I, 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 I don't want them to settle. I don't want them to settle to be average. I don't want them to settle to be mediocre. I think if they have the talent, if they're willing to push for it um, that I really want them to strive so there are times where I am pretty hard on her when she doesn't have that great a game because I know she's capable of more and I think uh, she owes it to herself to produce that more all the time uh, maybe this is, is a bit of a tougher question in a sense where there might be people who are listening especially parents uh, who might argue 
I don't have the resources. Uh, I don't have the connections. Do you think this is a case of them having to go and find it? And do you feel in a sense that it has been easier for you to forge those connections? Or is it a case where parents have to realise that to get your kids into football, you've got to make certain sacrifices and push harder? I think in terms of connections, it's not so much about um, uh, resources, it's about being open to it. I think the wonderful thing about football is that there's a lot of people who are willing to help. Uh, they're just so friendly. I, and I gave you the, the the examples of Fundy, I gave you the examples of Ben. Uh, all these are oh, the true kindness of their heart and the, the, the desire to make the sport more popular, the, more, the sport better, that they are always so willing to help. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. I think that's an important perspective, right? Because uh, it's something I hear often where parents talk about uh, we don't have the resources and all, and it seems to be a recurring theme. Uh, but then I just want to ask you, for you, uh, what were the key challenges for you, you know, especially when you reach a certain age where you realise, you know, you have to sacrifice social life, right? Was that a big challenge for you? Um, I wouldn't say it's a big challenge because I enjoy what I do. Um, but I think there were definitely a lot of sacrifices that went into it. Um, you know, obviously I had to juggle my um, school and, and sport as well. So that meant that there was not that much time left for, you know, going out with friends or even, you know, just going on Netflix or like using social media as much. Um, and so th there were definitely sacrifices in that aspect, but I wouldn't count it as challenges because I didn't really, I, I didn't really see it as challenges really. I really saw it as just, this is what I have to get done and, and, and just do it. So how does a typical day work for you? I mean, from the start, from the time you wake up all the way to when you get back to bed. So take us through it. Um, so now, so I'm currently based in the UK. Uh, I'm studying in Mill Hill School, um, and so I'm a boarder there. So, so it's, it's it's a bit different from what I'm used to at home. Um, but I wake up uh, around seven, seven, yeah, seven, and then I I um I, I call my parents every morning because of the time zones a bit different. So if I if I come back to school, I don't come back from school I don't really have much time to call my parents so I, I always call them um, in the morning and then I get ready for school school ends at around 3.45 or 4 to, or 4.30 on some days and then I usually go for training right after 4.30 to 5.30 um and then five thirty, we have to have lunch as part of the borders. So, so when you when you're staying in the UK and and, and in a boarding community, there's some like stricter rules in that sense. Mm -hmm. Where you know dinner has to be at five thirty, and so that's something that you can't really negotiate around. And then after dinner, I usually um, have another training session. And and the training sessions vary. Sometimes it's strength and conditioning. Sometimes it's field training with you know the boys at my school or at the academy. Um, and or sometimes it's like a mental skill session. And so it, it really varies. But I, I usually have around eight eight sessions a week. Okay. Of so of course, after training, you still have to go back to your books, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, it's, it's, uh, education in the UK is, is slightly easier. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, I can uh, slack off a bit. <laughs> but I'm still on top of my work. I still that, get everything done. That's good to done. hear. That's yeah. good to hear. Uh, Mr. Tan was a bit worried there with his reactions. <laughs> For, for you, um, when you were in Singapore and of course you, you started being part of the national team and all, yeah. right? Uh, when you were first told that you were being called up to the national team, do you still remember that moment and how did it feel like? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I, I I didn't really see it as a, that memorable moment when I was called up. But I think what was especially memorable was my first tournament. So I, I went with the under 15s as my first tournament and then I was I was still very young. I think I was like 13 when I when I played with them. Um and it was to and I went to Laos. And at that time, um I, I still wasn't very I, I was 
really fresh, mm-hmm. very green still. Um, and so the first time I played, I was totally off the speeds, you know. Every single time I got the ball, really, I, I looked like a second off, mm-hmm. very, uh, pretty slow. And most of the times I would lose the ball. I wasn't strong enough. I, I Basically, I wasn't holding up on my own. And and so that was the first my, my first real experience with at the international level. And we really saw how different it was, how different the speed of play was um, compared to Singapore. How fast, they, how quickly they pressed you really, how little time you had to think what your next move was. And so when we came back, um, my coach, my, my national team coach introduced me to an individual coach. And that's when we really buckled down and was like, if you really want to continue playing at this level, you know, you really got to improve. Um, and so we worked with the, with an individual coach. And, and then because I had more experiences overseas as well, I knew the benchmark. And so every time in Singapore where, um, you know, I, I really thought that, okay, I, I'm good enough. No, this is the level that I need to, and I need to continue improving. And so at, in a sense that I never, I never settled. And then obviously my dad always pushed me and, and, but really knowing the level that, you know, I needed to get to, it's just work, work, work. And if you don't work every time, it, it's a sense that if every time you don't work, someone else overseas is working, is putting in the extra miles, lifting the extra weight. And if you really want to become a professional football footballer, there's no way you can slack off back in Singapore. So so this mentality, right, that, I, I mean, if you are playing in, in Singapore and you find yourself scoring uh, X amount of goals in, in a particular game, I think the natural thing is you'll be happy, you'll be on yeah. cloud nine and all. Where does this mentality of, I'm sorry, but you know, it's still not good enough. I still, still am not at that level. Where do you think it comes from? Mr. Tan, do you, do you feel that it's something that you've taught them since young or do you feel like Daniel has taken that quite naturally? I think she has uh, imbibed that quite naturally, but I think it's also uh, being exposed to what it's like overseas. So yes, she'll be scoring goals happily uh, at her age group uh, in Singapore. And then, you know, when 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 she went to Arsenal in 2018, um, um, it was a good test. It was a good test of what her level was. She was probably about middle of the pack. But at least when she comes back, she knows, okay, that's the level I need to get to. That's the level I need to keep working towards. Um, so it's never settled. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Daniel. So how old are you at the moment? 17. So at this age, do you feel that uh, you have a good gauge of where you are at, at the international level, based on your overseas experiences? But what, what do you mean by... How, how would you explain it to someone who's wanting to take up football in Singapore in the women's, women's level that you are at this rate while the international level is how many rungs above? I think I think the international uh, game is a lot more physical. I think you, you never really realise it until you play against girls overseas. So I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I went to um, the US, the, uh, America, um, and I was playing in a sort of a college showcase... The girls that this they're phenomenal athletes. They just never stop running, and they're just so strong. There was one time <laughs> that um, you know I, I was receiving the ball, and someone came in from behind and just totally shoved me. Not a foul, just you know shoulder bump. But it really felt like you know some I got hit like like a truck, really. And 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 so you never really understand it until you've played in that one but they're just a lot more physical they go in a lot harder and it, and it's not a foul they're just they're just strong mm-hmm. and so that was something that was very sort of sh- like i i really realized that you know that's something that i really have to work on if i want to compete against them what about the speed of the game is that vastly different as well mm, yeah yeah i think i think so um i think just 
just because they're just a lot quicker and faster, they press you a lot faster as well. And so you have a lot less time to think about your next move or decide what you're going to do. Um, and so that's something that playing with the boys really helped me with because you know, boys are always a lot faster and a lot more physical. So either you have, so you have to either use your technical ability or you have to think one step ahead of them so that when you get the ball, you're gone. You, the ball is gone so that they can't ram into you. So it's just, it's just about adapting your game to try and, you know, match, match their levels. So uh, since you started doing these physical sessions and all, uh, have you found a, a real difference in your gameplay? I mean, how much has it helped you? Yeah, I think it's just really about gaining that extra, you know, half a second. And in in that half a second in football, you can do so much with it. So if I'm a if I'm half a second quicker to the ball, then I can I can I can you know dictate the play a lot better. I can see a lot more things in the game. Um, and so that just you know um, in the work in the gym and increasing my acceleration really, it just helps me gain that little half a second or hold off that player for half a second more. That I can do so much more of that that time you, you talked about playing with with boys and of course that's something that you're doing right now at the Mill Hill School yeah. uh, and that's because they only have a men's team is that correct yeah yeah so how has it been and like was it weird at all initially because I know you have played at the with the boys at a younger age group yeah. but this is in a, in a school and all did you find it weird how did they uh, take to you and, and all these things yeah it's, I, I actually Mill Hill has a girls team it's, it's just a, it's a new program mm. but they, they do have a girls team okay. and I'm actually um, coaching that girls team ah. so it's nice that I'm sort <laughs> of you know h- helping the younger girls um, mm. you know inspire them really um, but yeah I think because I've been exposed to playing in all boys teams growing up, it wasn't as foreign a concept to me when I when I played with the uh, team in my, in my school. Um, but I think it's a lot easier when the boys you're playing with um, is in your school. So, you know, in, in my classes, I, I see a lot of them. I'm friends with a lot of them. And so I think it just helps you settle in a lot quicker. There's always that initial stage with, with any boys team, really, that the boys look at, oh, she's a girl. You know, I don't know how she can play. And, and they don't really pass to you. Mm-hmm. But I think as you as you show them what you can do, as you play more, then they start to trust you more. They're more willing to play you the ball. And that's when you can get more involved in the game. So I currently play as a number 10 in the in the boys, boys team. And so I think I'm pretty instrumental in, you know, creating attacks, playing those through balls. Um, and yeah, and I and I scored my um, first goal against uh, Merchant Taylor School for the second team um, just the other week. Um, and so I think it really shows how well I've settled in um, into, the, into the boys team. For, for you, Mr. Tan, you know, when you see, uh, or rather now, now that um, Danelle is overseas uh, training and schooling, uh, for you, is there any worry at all? I mean, do you spend your days, uh, how's Danelle doing today and all? How, how hard is it to sometimes let go? Because that's also a worry for parents, right? To to send their, their kid overseas or not. Yeah, I, I, I'm really not worried about her living and studying there. Um, I do I do worry about her her getting injured. Um and some, some, but sometimes when I get the clips of you know a boy totally just judo wrestling her to the ground, I, I just laugh lah because after a while, those are those are the one, the ones that I'm not so worried about. It's those very late challenges coming in at the at the shin at the knees, um, because she does have 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 uh, uh, tricky knee issues. Uh, so those are the kind of things I I would be more concerned about. You you talk about injuries and I know you mentioned uh, the fact that uh, she has had previous injuries before. Uh, how do you manage it? How do you ensure that, you know, it's something that 
doesn't recur again. Is that a very hard part of managing uh, your football career? Yeah, so I, I told my um, MCL in, in 2019, right after I came back from um, IX. So that was very unfortunate. <laughs> we were all ready to come back, get, you know, we, we said, yeah, this is the level in, in, in Holland and this is what I need to get to. And then I come back playing the uh, Challenge Cup final and then I get injured. So it was really very unlucky. But I think um, with any with any sport, injuries are always sort of the worst part of the game. Um, and so when I was um, doing my rehab for the MCL, it was you know, it was really, it was a really tough period just going into the gym every single day, not being able to get on the field. And it's just like, it's just tedious, really. It's just like never ending. And then with any injuries, it's always like two steps forward, one step back. Um, and, and so that, that was a really tough period, but I think that, um, I had, I had a very good support system and I think that's, that's, um, really important. So my family was always very supportive of me. Um, and I, and I had a good coach that I was working with that was really, you know, helping me get through through that uh, rough patch really has the injuries changed your style of play do you think hmm, I don't think so um, I think it was just you know a setback but then when I got back it was just back into the groove of things I don't really think that uh, I think I'm still young so in that sense that I think my my game is always changing and always I'm always trying to improve my game but I don't think the injuries was what really changed my game so, yeah. so would you, and, and this is quite a late question to ask given the fact that we've talked to you for so, for so long, yeah. would you consider yourself a number 10? Would you consider yourself a number 9? What do you see yourself as? Uh, I'll see myself as a number 10. You see yourself yeah, as a number 10? Yeah, my favourite position is yeah the number 10. I, I think one of my um, strongest attributes is my vision and playing those through balls. I know you said you didn't watch the two games, but if you did, you would see quite a few. The, the first, the, the first, first game, game yeah. I watched and I saw yeah. the ball for the, the, the assists for yeah. yeah steps yeah. So I think um yeah I think really that's one of my greatest strengths playing those through balls and then f- finding finding uh, a lot of my my teammates and so I think as a number ten I I get a lot more freedom to do that um and so that's, it's it's my favorite position. <laughs> right, wonderful. So before we we get to the end of the interview, a key key question I want to ask is, uh, and I want to ask you both. For you, Danielle, firstly, um, what would you consider a point where you would say, I've made it? What would that point be? I don't think there's any point that, you know, I would say it's made it. I mean, the idea that, you know, never settle, you're continually improving. I think once once you say that this is the point that I've made it, you're finished. You know, if you're, because everyone else is improving. They're constantly improving. All the girls overseas, they're always striving to be better. And so if there's a point where you say, you know, I'm, 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 um, I'm good enough or I'm on, then I think you should hang up your boots really <laughs> because you should always continually improve to, to compete at the highest level. I think that's, that's what I think. Wonderful. Mr. Tan, uh, a similar question, but for, uh, for me, maybe I'll change it. Um, for you, what would you constitute a, a point where, you know, you realise as a dad, I, I've done my part in a sense of bringing my daughter into football and she has forged a career right now? I, th- I think I've, I've never seen myself as being very instrumental to what she's done. I think she, she should take a lot of credit for, for where she is today. I think I think we just basically laid away, you know, um, um, take her to certain places, fetch her around, but I have never seen myself as indispensable or instrumental to, to her journey. So, um, so I, I don't think I'll ever say that, you know, with, without my help, she wouldn't have gotten there. I think, I think, um, she would possibly have taken a different path, but I'm quite sure she will have, she would have been immensely successful as well. 
So so would you say though that the ambition right now is to nail down a, a professional contract uh, with a professional outfit, uh, be it in the US or in the UK? Would that be the goal? Yes. For for you as well, uh, Mr. Tan, is that... I, I think life always throws us a lot of curveballs. I think we are very thankful that it's all been panning out very well. Even our trip back here was, was a bit of a, a very late uh, decision. Um, so I think we'll... I think the best way is always to take one step at a time. Um, the, 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 the main fixated goal, uh, which we're all very supportive of, is for her to turn professional. Um, but where, which country, what club, I think there's still quite a long way to go on that. Okay. So we've talked a lot about your career, your, your personal objectives and all. Uh, I just want to take a step back and, and look at it at a macro level right now in terms of Singapore football. Uh of course, we, we talked about the positives, you know, increased attention to women's football and all. Uh, Mr. Tan, the, the hard question for you right now is, what more do we need to do to ensure that, you know, we get... Because you, you look at uh, our Southeast Asian counterparts, uh, and that's where we'll talk about later right, in yeah. terms of the SEA Games. But the likes of Philippines, the likes of Thailand, they are several rungs ahead. Uh, even in the men's game, yes, they are ahead, but... The, the gap is not so wide. So in the women's game, it's wider from, from what I've understood and, and read. What do we need to do now to ensure that we go closer? I, I think if you to ask my uneducated opinion on that, it's I think I think they just need to play a lot more. We need to send more girls overseas, benefit from other people's expertise um, um, and, and training. And, and actually, literally, that's how the Philippines did it. And then assemble a much stronger and stronger, uh, younger and stronger squad uh, to compete. Um, so I, th I think we're on the right path. Uh, more, can more be done? Of course. Um, but um, I, th I think we're on a good trajectory. Uh, for you, Danielle, uh, a bit of a different question because it's not really uh, in context to Singapore itself, but around the world, you know, women's football has has gone leaps and bounds in terms of improvement. But do you still think there are there's a lot more men can do in terms of changing their perspective of how they look at the game? Uh, have you had any personal encounters in that regard? Yeah, um, I won't say personal, but I I think you just go on in uh. Instagram really and you see all these sexist comments like uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a good example um, I think one of the women's team um, I think okay I can't remember who it was against but I think the scoreline was like 10-0 um, between two women's clubs and then um, people in the comments would be like oh women should go back to the kitchen how can you lose 10-0 you know go be housewives or these kind of things and then it was a men's game and really it was like on this in the same week scoreline's very similar men's game was like oh that was an absolute masterclass by that men's team and and you're just like you know what is this like double standards really and 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 i think it's still very clear especially on instagram and social media that there, there are a lot of people that still really look at women's football and women's sport in general as second class mm -hmm. and I so in that aspect I think there's still a lot more that needs to be done to change these mindsets but I think it's on a good path like you said the women's game is growing just recently 91,000 fans took to Camp Nou to watch um, Real Madrid and Barcelona Barcelona, yeah. and so I think there's been huge improvements but I still think there's a lot that needs to be done so would you say that uh, you would take it upon yourself to educate people if there's a need to or is this almost a sense of let him say what he wants to say, it's his own thing? Or do you feel there's a need for, for yourself to, and other women footballers as well, to educate them? 
Or you could just do, you know, you're talking on the pitch. Well, which is your preference? Um, I, I tend to just block it out, you know, focus on my game and, and things. But I think what I can do more is to inspire the next generation of girls. I think that's that's more important to show these girls that this can be, this, this is could be your future. That, you know, don't let all these negative comments or, you know, haters or whatever hinder you from pursuing your dreams. Um, and so I, I would be a strong advocate for, you know, inspiring these young girls to say that, you know, if that's what you want to do, do it. Don't don't care about these 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 men. Really. Okay. Uh, just before we go on to rapid fire, of course, we've got to talk about the C games, right? Yeah. Uh, mentioned it in the intro as well. Um, you've seen the draw. Um, I'm sure you know not long to go before you're off to Hanoi. How are you feeling? And you know what is the sense for you and and the squad itself after these two friendly games, especially that? What what do you think you can do in in Vietnam? Um, I think this. I think the squad's on a uh very. We're, we're sort of on a high, you know, coming out of these two games. I think we did really well. Uh, a good game against Seychelles, and I think we put up a really good fight against Papua New Guinea. So I think the squad is very confident now. Um, and obviously, I think we have to be a bit realistic in terms of goals for the Sea Games because Thailand and Myanmar, they're top fifty countries. Laos is also a very strong side. I think they're eighty third, but I think that their squad is has is is very good as well and and Singapore is sitting at 135th um, and so we have to be sort of a bit realistic as well but I think at the same time it's a very exciting opportunity this is the first time in 19 years that Singapore women's football will be competing in the SEA Games so I think what what we as a team really have to do is to give a good account of ourselves in the in the SEA Games really put up a fight um as good as a fight as we can and you know they always say in football the ball is round and anything can happen so if if you know if we're even able to take a few points off Laos or, or Myanmar I think that would be a very 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 good um, goal really um, and I think also to just inspire the next generation again to to all the people that, w- that are going to be watching all the young girls that are going to be watching that hey this could be you in a few years time you could be playing in the SEA Games in a few years time and I think, like I said, you know, because the women's game is growing as well, to give um, all these young girls exposure that they're seeing role models like them. Then they're not men, but women playing at at high levels at, in the Sea Games, and you know, giving them the I- idea that this could be this could be them really in a few years' time. Yeah, wonderful point, and I do hope that you know, uh, whether whether the schools or the community clubs around Singapore. Uh, use this chance to showcase that game in a live screening to their students, the female students, male students to realize this is a new frontier almost. Uh, we have gone to now the rapid fire round. Five quick questions. Okay. Uh, don't worry, they're all easy. So the fifth question is, uh, is a question that we ask to everybody. So this one, uh, both Danelle and Mr. Tan, I'll pose it to you. But first, okay. uh, Danelle, who is the best player you've seen live? Ooh... Viviana Minima. <laughs> Expected that. Yeah. Okay, second question is actually favourite men's football team player, but we already know it's Bobby Firmino, so I'm going to change it up a bit. Uh, you had a training stint with the Arsenal Academy, right? Did you have a chance to meet Minima when you were there? No. Uh, have you met any like English women Super League players while you're there? Like any opportunity to meet them? Um, so I actually watched the North London derby Spurs and Arsenal when I was uh, in the UK last October. And... And that was a really big match because, well, if you if you watch a bit of the the women's Super League, Spurs is a very new club um, to the women's Premier League. They I think they've only been in a professional scene for two years. Arsenal have been a 
you know they're, they're 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 big in the women's game. I think they have a lot more investment, and so um, that was the first time that Spurs actually took out, took points off Arsenal. The score was one all, and really it felt like Spurs game to take. Um, so so I I watched that match and and it was it was a very very good match. It was my first. Yeah, it was no, it was my first um, WSL game that I watched live, um, and it was a very nice match to watch. All right, uh, third question. Uh, this one probably needs a story as well. Who okay. has been your toughest opponent? A particular player that you played against that you probably are going to remember for a very long time. Oh, this is tricky. In in the in the singer in the Singapore scene, or it, like, it could be anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. Oh wow. Well, I would I would say it would be some of the Thai or Vietnamese defenders, but I I wouldn't know the name. <laughs> so, but what what is it? So explain to us the 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 difference. I mean, like I said earlier about how we are quite far behind in terms of Thai Thai girls and Vietnamese girls. What is the standard like? I mean, is it like what you mentioned earlier about the speed and the physique? Yeah, I, I think I mean. Ties, the ties have been to the World Cup, so obviously yeah. the, the gap is there, right? They've they've played against the likes of like the USA and the Netherlands, um, and so in that regard, they also have a lot more experience. Um, but I think yeah, the main thing is really just the speed of play, the physicality that that they will have an advantage over us. Okay, and fourth question: uh, What do you think is a must-have for a game day when you're preparing for a match? Or maybe even as a fan, when you're going to a match, like what's a must-have? I was going to say my boots, but then you said as a fan, and I was like, I'm not going to bring my boots to watch a game. <laughs> uh, like, uh, Experience-wise, what's a must-have for for a great football match? Oh, oh, that's... I would say fans, and I think it was very evident um, in in our, in our game against um, Papua New Guinea and Seychelles, and when the when the Singapore Brigade brought their drums in, I think it really just changes yeah. the whole atmosphere of it, and they're just banging away and they're singing the entire game, and I think you know, and, and all the fans are clapping, and it just it just gives the the whole atmosphere a different a different vibe. Okay, last question, uh, Mr. Tan, I'll start with you. What is your wish for Singapore football? Um, that we improve, <laughs> that we we become more viable as a as a sport. Uh, anything in particular for women's football? I think to see more players going overseas and turning professional. Okay, wonderful, Danielle. The same question for you. What is your wish for Singapore football? Hmm. I think yeah. I think I think if if a lot more um, players go overseas and turn professional, then naturally your the national team will improve. I think it's hard to say. Like, I I I suppose you're looking for the oh win the sea games or you know get into the World Cup. I think I think that's that's hard to tell right now. But I think a more short term goal that we could have is really to send a lot more players overseas. And I think that's that's um that's been happening recently. I mean with Putri and. A few other players, Nani, have have also gone gone overseas, um, to to play to yeah to play really. Um, but I think yeah, I think that's a good good short term goal for a lot more players to to go overseas and then come back and play for the Singapore national team. As I expected, a wonderful episode, uh, Danelle and Mr Tan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, like you mentioned, I hope you know a lot of uh, younger girls out there will be inspired by this episode, as well as parents. You know, for them to realize what they can do to support their children in their pursuit of their dreams. Uh, thank you so much once again, and all the best for your career. Thank you. Thank you.